Welcome to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Matt Manicheri, and former NFL scout and currently of Sports Info Solutions, joined as always by Aaron Schatz, the godfather of football analytics and the founder of Football Outsiders. Today's topic, we are going to be making our rounds on the off-season update circuit. But first off, the biggest free agency move that I've heard of this off-season, Scott Spratt to Football Outsiders. Uh, the news came down uh, on the wire last night, Aaron, and I was as excited probably as anybody to hear about that. What a great pickup for you guys. Scott, of course, started the Off the Charts Football Podcast with you four or five years ago now. You know, for those who don't know, Scott used to work for Sports Info Solutions when we first started doing football work with you guys. And he's been working the last couple of years doing fantasy analysis for Pro Football Focus, but he's done a lot of analysis of a lot of different football things. So we're really happy to have him on board. It full-time job, we're calling it senior analyst. So he's uh, going to be doing a little bit more fantasy analysis than we've done in the past and also helping me to restructure and reboot the Kubiak fantasy projection system for 2020. Uh, but, I mean, he's won. Uh, he was a finalist for the Fantasy Sports Writers Association Football Writer of the Year, and he's won awards from Sloan Analytics Research Paper competitions, and we're really happy to have him on board at FO. Yeah, you know, in this in this kind of football analytics world, there are people that um, know football really well that don't have a clue about analytics and, in fact, have, have very warped perceptions sometimes. And then you'll find people that are just locked in on kind of the technical abilities and, and have all kinds of coding ability and research chops. Um, and Scott is one of these rare, rare people that has all of those uh, research abilities and could be, you know, a, a doctor at, at MIT if he wanted to be doing stuff like that. Um, but on top of that, he really gets back to the game and he'll be more of a fantasy guy than, you know, doing some of the kind of kind of classic on the field analysis that, that you and I are probably a little bit more focused on because that's a little bit more what he knows. But um, in terms of the type of research and the type of kind of moving the dial on the conversation, setting up, setting the, the stage for a lot of what we've been able to accomplish at Sports Info Solutions in, in over the last five years, really, uh, none of that would have been possible without Scott. None of the football, uh, the off the charts football podcast would be possible without him. And I'm just thrilled that we're going to get to see more of his analysis on the Football Outsiders website. Uh, Off-season signing. It's either that or Josh Rosen. They're neck and neck for me right now. And that was just a trade that the Rosen won. So bringing in a, it's nice to bring in an NFC South voice. Also, he's a Charlotte fan. He's a Carolina Panthers fan. So you can expect more Carolina Panthers talk in audibles from now on at Football Outsiders. Oh yeah. The Southern gentleman for sure. That's Scott Spratt. Um, even though he and I have a little Duke Carolina rivalry between us. Um, all right, let's take it forward. We'll have to have Scott on the podcast very soon. I'm so excited to have him have him back kind of in our world. Um, but let's take it a look around the league and let's weigh in on a debate that we've seen. I think you mentioned that it was Dan Pizzuta. You saw a um, – he started it off with a tweet, I think, the whole play action and shotgun versus under center thing. Yes, and it's a really interesting question. So what, what Dan tweeted out was some data from SIS showing that under center play action has a slightly higher EPA per attempt and positive play percentage than uh, play action from shotgun. I mean, you, you, you can do play action from either. Well, what's interesting about this a little bit is shotgun overall is more uh, efficient, efficient. Yeah. than under center. So this brings up the question of 
your balance between shotgun plays and under center plays. Because on one hand, uh, you want to run more shotgun plays because you want them to be more efficient overall. On the other hand, it suggests that you still need to run a good number of under center plays because you want to set up play action that's that's uh, that's longer and more uh, more efficient, more EPA per attempt. Although I will say, uh, the one stat that Dan left out of his tweet was the uh, average depth of target for shotgun play action versus under center play action. And I have a bit of a theory that the reason why under center play action has a lower completion rate and a higher yards per attempt and a little bit more EPA per attempt is that those are deeper throws. So if that's the case, and I'd have to go look at the numbers to see if that's the case, but if it's that, that they're deeper throws, I wonder whether you could design shotgun play action that went as deep as under center play action goes. That's an interesting way to look at it. I I wasn't going to go there. Um, My thought was more in terms of, okay, so we like to think about teams should pass more than they they currently do. And it has to be taken to some sort of extreme for us to find out when that's gone too far. And we'll have to see, you know, we, all of us analysts are always saying, show us where the rushing efficiency is better than the passing efficiency. And then, okay, we've reached that equilibrium. This is one of those things where the Rams, I feel like have, almost already been taking this to an extreme. When they were under center, they had an extremely high play action tendency. When they were in shotgun, they had an extremely high pass tendency. So this was a team that must have seen, you know, in broad strokes, you can see shotguns more efficient than not shotgun. Okay, we're going to do a lot of shotgun and we're going to pass out of shotgun because we want to be passing more than running. But then you would think that it would be almost like tipping the defense off that, okay, here we are, we're going back under center again. It's either going to be that outside zone or it's going to be a play action pass. You don't really have to worry about the drop back game right now. It feels like from a scheme standpoint, it's just so telegraphed what's going on. But that telegraphing is in direct opposition to, number one, they really like the personnel they have for those situations. They really like their team and those guys in those situations. So do what you do well um, and, and, and make the other team react to it. But then also on top of that, I, I think that there's kind of a degree of they are doing these things that are more efficient on average. And as they're doing things that are more efficient on average, it's not mattering that you know that it's coming. It's like what, what uh, all of the Ben Baldwin research on play action is showing, that play action is still as efficient as if you don't run the ball at all. There's no real relationship there. It, it, it's almost showing in that same degree that, okay, they're under center. Watch, you know, alert play action, alert play action. It doesn't well, matter. Well, hold on. Not, it's, he, his research doesn't show that play action is just as useful if you don't run the ball at all. It shows that play action is just as useful if you run the ball less. Nobody doesn't run the ball right. at all. I mean, right? I mean, that's the theory is if you didn't run the ball at all, then you could hopefully teach linebackers not to jump for play action fakes. So you've got to run the ball some. You just don't have to run the ball as much as teams run it now. Um, I will say that I think that what the Rams make obvious is not when they're under center. See, I think when they're under center, they're either going to run outside zone or play action is still, that's a really difficult to figure out if you're the defense and you're going to, yeah, you're still in a bind. If you're a linebacker, you're still in a bind. What I think they make obvious is they never run from shotgun. When they're in shotgun, you don't have to think about the run. And in fact, the Rams are, even though I will say, first of all, 
Most teams are more efficient, even running, even running more efficient out of shotgun than under center. The Rams are one of the few teams that were last year better from under center than they were from shotgun by both DVOA and yards per play. They were one of the few teams with a reverse. And they're an extreme in that they were only in shotgun, quote-unquote only, 39% of the time, right? Whereas the league average is like 60% or so at this point. The, the Rams are an interesting case, but I do wonder if they're still giving, giving away what they're going to do a little too much when they do go shotgun. I mean, I, I wonder that you have to look at it, but maybe they only go shotgun in what are clearly passing down and distance situations. It seems to be that or, you know, when they come out on first and 10 in their in their real, you know, attack stuff. But I think more of their attacking on first and 10 is that under center play action outside zone that you're talking about. Um, I think you make some really good points there. Here's one other interesting element of this whole uh, situation. And pistol is a low sample size occurrence in the NFL. We don't see a lot of teams run pistol, but pistol is very similar in concept to shotgun, right? It's a shotgun with a running back lined up behind the quarterback, essentially, as opposed to to his side or, or, or wherever else. And one interesting element of this is play action in pistol in a very low sample size is even more efficient than play action under center. And I think people that are big fans of pistol and what it can provide to you from an offensive schematic standpoint, it essentially allows you to be under center and in shotgun at the same time. You don't have to commit to the running back being on one side of you. Um, So you can do a lot of similar concepts, although it definitely reduces your playbook and and limits certain aspects of it. I wonder um, if we look specifically into the pistol and as we see more sample of like how often these teams are running the pistol play action, if it'll still continue to be more efficient than shotgun play action and under center play action, or if it'll start to approach those rates and be more similar to one or the other. The other thing I think is interesting is I remember Bill James in the eighties writing about baseball, that it was the best time in baseball history because strategies were so, uh, what, what there was such a wide range of possible strategies, right? In the, in the 30s, every team was just based on hitting home runs. And in the 60s, every team was trying to steal bases. And But by the time you got to the 80s, you had teams that were just home runs. And you had teams that were like the Cardinals, that were like running around the bases like crazy. And I feel like we've gotten to that point with shotgun in the NFL, right? It used to be there was very little shotgun. And as I've talked about at Football Outsiders many times over the last 10 or 15 years, the dramatic explosion in shotgun plays. Over the last couple of years, though, you've seen the advent of these top offenses that have gone backwards in using shotgun and discovered what we're talking about here about play action and the quarterback under center. And so it's really interesting when you look at the rate of shotgun last year. If you look at the bottom five teams in rate of shotgun, you have some of the best offenses in the league, the Rams, the Falcons, the Saints, the Patriots. If you look at the top five teams in terms of shotgun percentage, you also have some of the best offenses in league, like the Chiefs and the Steelers and the Eagles. So you, we sort of reached an interesting point where you can do it a lot of different ways, and teams are having success with the heavy play-action game, and they're having success with the heavy spread shotgun game. Better for the NFL when successful teams aren't all running the same kind of schemes. Yeah, I think um, as a true uh, Gen Xer, you come back to thinking about that that baseball and that that Bill James sort of paradigm there, and how the game is back to my Bill James abstracts, man. 
Yeah, um, me being a, being a cusper between being a, a millennial and a Gen Xer, I'm a little bit more basketball inclined. And I think of it in terms of if you look at the NBA in terms of three-point usage, how often you shoot three-pointers. Yeah, at the top of the league, you see Houston and Golden State. But then at the bottom of the league, you always see San Antonio, um, even when they're winning championships. So uh, there's something to be said for taking, you know, the zig to the zag strategy that everybody else is doing and seeing how that always plays in any given timeline in any sport. So to me, that makes it all more interesting. All right, let's take a step forward and let's move to our next topic. Defeats 2018 came out on Football Outsiders this week. Always fascinating to see the defeats stat um, that, that Football Outsiders came out with, I, I don't know how many years ago. But for a reminder, everybody, a defender is credited with a defeat anytime they make a tackle that results in a loss of yardage, including sacks, any play that results in a turnover, including tipped passes, which are then intercepted, and any tackle or tip pass that leads to a stop on third or fourth down. Those are defeats, and we saw the leaderboard come out this year. What were your big takeaways there, Aaron? Well, Luke Keekley led this year. Darius Leonard was second, but part of that is Darius Leonard made so many plays that, of course, he made a big number of big plays because he just made so many plays overall, right? I mean, he made like more plays than anybody else in the league by, I'm loading up the numbers right now. I know he led the league in tackles, but when you add in passes, defense, and other plays, he had 171 total mentions in the play-by-play. And uh, Bobby Wagner was second with 148. So the difference between Leonard and Wagner was like the difference between Wagner and like the person who was 20th in the league. Wow. So of course, Darius Leonard had a lot of defeats. He had a lot of everything. Another thing that jumps out is just how far Aaron Donald was ahead of other interior linemen. Aaron Donald had 36 defeats, Chris Jones 27, and then the next highest interior lineman was Jarrell Casey with 23. Nobody makes big plays like Aaron Donald, although there was one defender who made more run defeats than Aaron Donald, and that's Damon Harrison, who is Mr. Stop the Run. And I feel like run defeats don't get as much love as pass defeats because um, run tackle for loss just doesn't get the kind of attention that a sack does. But obviously, that's a huge negative play that you've made. Right. Uh, the loss of down it, it, it is a bigger part of the EPA loss than whatever yardage you'll lose on a negative play. So I think you bring up a great point there. I was actually going to make a related point. So looking at that split like you were talking about, uh, between the defensive linemen. Aaron Donald was actually tied with Chris Jones. Both of them had 21 pass defeats. It was the difference in the run game. And Aaron Donald, as much as we talk about it, I think people still sleep on it. Chris Jones, just six of those defeats in the run game. Whereas Aaron Donald, that's where he separated himself with 15 on his own. Uh, other takeaways for me, you mentioned Darius Leonard just being all over the place, making all sorts of plays. Luke Keekley still being number one on this list. I don't know if people outside of Carolina give Luke Keekley enough love. I think people kind of think of him as a guy that used to be maybe uh, better than he is now. And we think of all the different injury things and stuff like that. But for him still to be leading the league ahead of names like Darius Leonard and Aaron Donald in this stat, that's really impressive to me. Luke Keekley is a great player. And it's interesting, you know, Mike Tanier's line is everybody has their linebacker. And every, every team fan base has some linebacker who they wish was in the Hall of Fame. And we have to have debates about, you know, is Zach Thomas a Hall of Famer or is London Fletcher a Hall of Famer, et cetera. I have a feeling with Luke Keekley and with Bobby Wagner, he's the other one. We're not going to be having these debates when they get 
to uh, Hall of Fame voting. I'm going to have to make my voice known about Levante David, but I don't think we're going to have to have these debates with Luke Keekley and Bobby Wagner. Here's one more point I'll make. Just looking, there were two safeties that made, uh, the, what is the top 20 list, I think. Um, and the two safeties there are Jamal Adams with 27 and Buda Baker with 24. And looking at that, I think as much as it's a credit to those players, I think uh, especially Jamal Adams, I'm a, a big fan of his game. You don't want to have safeties on this list if you're a defense. Um, if these guys are the guys that are having to make the plays for you, it seems like um, you'd rather have it be a front seven player in here that is making a lot of your your most impactful plays, making these defeats. Uh, because it seems to me like if, if you're having to rely on uh, Jamal Adams, Buda Baker, as the Jets and Arizona did this year, it's probably saying something about your defense that's not maybe working as, as, as optimally as it could be. I suppose it depends how much of a box safety they are, right? Buda Baker is more of a box safety than Jamal Adams is. But it, it does – you are saying something that is true about defensive stats, and we try to make this point at Football Outsiders, which is defensive stats – often are teaching you more about how a defense is structured than they are about how good a player is, right? It often is telling you more about when you look at who the playmakers are on a defense, it often is telling you about how that defense plays and who sucks up blocks and who's how players are positioned, you know, just as much as it tells you about who's a good player and who's a bad player. You know, after all, for example, if you have Damon Harrison in front of you, you can't make a lot of run tackle because Damon Harrison is making them. (laughs) So they're not there for you to make. I'm, I'm on board with you right there. Um, anything else from that article? I always love checking that out. I, I highly recommend the, the listeners to check it out on footballoutsiders.com. Uh, it's interesting that the, the cornerback defeats uh, because it seems such, it's such a random collection, but it does tell you some interesting things about, like, for example, which cornerbacks were used on blitzes a lot, like Kenny Moore, uh, who was thrown out a lot on third down because you can't make a pass defense on third down unless you're thrown to on third down. I'll tell you another uh, interesting piece of analysis that would go along uh, along with this. Perhaps we'll run this as an article later in the offseason, is looking at stops on pass reception tackles, right? Like the, the, the classic line about a cornerback is that you don't want a cornerback to have a lot of tackles, that if a cornerback is having a lot of tackles, it means he's being thrown out a lot. But if he has a lot of tackles, but he's tackling receivers short of a successful play, that's a good thing. So what matters about tackles for cornerbacks is how useful they are, right? Not just you – don't, you don't want a guy who makes a lot of tackles, but you do want a guy who makes a lot of useful tackles. And so with defeats, what we're counting is useful tackles. Useful passes defense, but also useful tackles, not, you know, I get thrown out a lot and they, and they tack, you know, I, I make tackles downfield. All right, but let's have a little bit more fun. And I was listening to the SIS baseball podcast with Mark Simon – and he was talking with Andrew Kine about what major league defenders' skill set they would most like to have if they could choose everybody. And they named a couple of people that weren't Aaron Judge, which, which upset me as a, as a Homer Yankee fan, um, with an emphasis on the Homer. Um, but I wanted to say, what NFL defenders' skill set would you want to have if you could choose anybody? I thought that would be a fun question. Well, I think this gets to one of the most interesting debates in analytics this offseason that we've seen a lot of people talking about. There was a big article from Pro Football Focus about this, right? Which is more important, the pass rush or the coverage? And it's complicated because, first of all, most research that's been shown suggests 
that the coverage is more important than the pass rush. And also research that was done by the ESPN folks with their pass block win rate suggests that pass blocking and pass rushing may have more to do with the offensive line and the quarterback than the defensive line. But here's the problem. Cornerback stats and everything about cornerbacks, the fact is anecdotally cornerback performance in general is less consistent from year to year and less predictable than pass rusher performance. So which do you want? The thing that's most important or the thing that's most predictable? And I think because there's one player, I mean, actually two players, but I can only pick one of them, whose performance is such a standout in the pass rushing area that I would rather have what's more predictable. And so the two players I'm talking about are Aaron Donald and J.J. Watt. And since Aaron Donald is younger and a little bit better right now, I would say Aaron Donald is the one defender I would want over any other. Okay. You answered a different question than what I intended to ask. So you said if you could choose one defender in the NFL, who would you want to have on the team? I'm saying if Aaron Schatz could take any defender's skill set and have their athletic ability, who would that guy be? Is it still Aaron oh, Donald? I'd want to get out of the trenches. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Aaron Donald choice. Don't get me wrong. Oh, here. The strength, be, the speed, the Andrews. Jalen Ramsey. Okay. That's a fun choice there. Yeah. The first name for me that came to mind was also um, Aaron Donald there. Just thinking about what he can do. I definitely um, just, I can gobble up Khalil Mack film anytime. And so to, if you could tell me that, that to have Khalil Mack's body and his ability to play in the run in the pass game and get to the quarterback and do everything that he does. I, I, I love that one. But for me, I, I got to go back to my old, my old high school playing days. I was a free safety. I'm still a free safety at heart. If you could give me Earl Thomas's skill set, I think that would make me happier than anything else. Um, just the ability to, to roam center field like that and make all the plays he made back there. I think growing up, if you could have told me, I, you know, if you could have given me that physical skill set, that's, that's who I would have wanted to be as a player. Um, so, so as far as active players, um, that goes. Now, if we get into historical players, it, it, we can have this conversation probably for, for hours. I mean, thinking about the, the Lawrence Taylors of the world and, and people like that. It's interesting. If you think about the mindset of players, first of all, is how active do you want to be? And second of all is how afraid are you of being beat? If you're Jalen Ramsey, you have to have the kind of mindset that you're ready to get back up and go right back at it after you've been beat. Whereas when you're, if you're like a playmaking linebacker or safety or even a pass rusher, your, your beats are not as obvious, right? So there isn't the same kind of a mental like need for a mental hardness to get over being beaten. If Jalen Ramsey's beaten sometimes, like that's a score, right? And he's yeah. got to get over that. Yeah, no, that's fun. I'd rather, much rather be a pass rusher than a pass protector. I do agree, by the way. I was convinced by that ESPN column about pass block win rate, pass blocking being more important than pass protection, uh, than pass rushing. Um, I, I buy that, although um, there's certainly much more research to be done on that question and, and, and other questions which I'm less convinced on. Interesting one that Tom Gower found in research that he's doing for the Indianapolis chapter of Football Outsiders Almanac is that pressure rate seems to correlate better to defensive efficiency than to offensive efficiency. That would suggest that pressure might be more important for defenses than for offenses. Always fascinating to turn the dial and also to use the different sorts of statistics, whether, you know, when you go from the next-gen stuff to the SIS stuff and you see how a different data set might change how you approach a problem. Um, 
always interesting there. All right, Aaron, we wanted to keep it nice and quick today, keep it moving during the summer. Um, we will sign off and get out of here. Shout out to the producer, Justin Stein. And as always, please spread the word about the podcast, subscribe, rate, and review. You can find us on Twitter at sportsinfo underscore SIS, me at Matt Mano, and Aaron at FO underscore A Shots. Um, for Aaron Shots, I'm Matt Manicharian, and thank you for joining us for the latest episode of the Off the Charts Football Podcast. Podcast.